Thank you so much, John. So good to be here again. Now, this morning, as John said, I'm going to talk about vision. About a month ago, and I think this is very timeless, about a month ago, pastors and elders of this church went away uh, for a few days, and we spent time really listening to God and saying, God, what is your vision for our church? And if you're at the, at the leaders' meeting about two and a half weeks ago, you would have had a, time to, a chance to interact with that, that vision as, as it currently stands, as we've developed it so far. We're not the only church with a vision. Lots and lots of churches out there would have a vision statement, something that they're working towards. Companies have vision statements, of course, don't they? Many of us would even have a vision statement for our own lives. And that vision gives us a a picture of the future, the future that we desire. And so it guides our strategy, it guides our, our actions, it even guides the culture that we would develop in our homes or in our organizations or in our church. You know, thinking about vision, there are pastors and there are church, church leaders out there whose vision is perhaps to build the biggest church in the city, or perhaps to be the most welcoming church in the city, or, or perhaps to have a church that's filled with power and, and signs and wonders. There are people whose personal vision is to become rich and influential or popular, or that their lives would be significant, or they would leave some kind of mark on this world, that they would be remembered. And and all these visions are not necessarily good or bad. They may be honorable. But today we want to look at Jesus' vision. The vision that Jesus left for His church to accomplish, and the specific instructions and resources that accompany that vision. Because unless the vision that is driving our church and our lives and even our companies and our homes is in alignment with Jesus' vision, the Bible says we are building on sand. And when the rains come and the floods rise and the winds blow, everything we've built will fall with a great crash. So be careful how you build and be careful with what you build. Church leaders, business leaders, Parents, people of God. Because the Bible says that unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. In vain we rise early. In vain we go to bed late and we toil and we toil and we toil. In vain. Unless the Lord builds. So are you building your life? Are we building our church on the foundation of the vision of Jesus And if we're not, we are wasting our lives. And we are wasting our resources. And as a church, we are then wasting kingdom resources. Jesus' vision is and must be the defining vision for His church and His people. And if we call Him Lord, we must build according to His vision. So almost 2,000 years ago, Jesus stood on a mountainside in Galilee with his 11 disciples. And he gave them his vision. He spelt it out to them. That picture of what he intended them to accomplish. These were almost the last words that Jesus spoke before his ascension. And I guess, you know, each of us, if we have the privilege to know when our last words will be, we'll plan those words quite carefully. We will say the things that matter most to us the things we want to pass on, that somehow pass on the legacy of our lives. But Jesus' last words are not the same. Jesus is not speaking as someone who's about to die. He already did that. Jesus is speaking 
as someone who is going away on a long, 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 long journey. And he's speaking as somebody who intends to return one day and find things different to the way he left them. And so these words that he speaks to his disciples that day on the mountainside, as he gives them his vision for the world, as he spells out for them his plan, is what he intends them to actually do, to actually carry out before he returns. And it's the same vision that he intends for us to carry out before he returns. This isn't the first time that Jesus has spoken about going away on a long journey. There's this parable, some of us will know it well, where he he tells about a master who goes away on this long journey, and before he goes, he gives out his money, his resources to his servants. It's called the parable of the talents. You remember that one? Some of you remember it. And nobody knows when he's going to return. But what they do know is that they need to use the resources that he's given them to accomplish his vision, the master's vision. Now, there's one servant who doesn't seem to understand what the master's vision is, and he fails to act according to the vision of his master because he has a personal vision, which for him is much bigger than the master's vision. And, and for him, it's a vision of, of leisure and of personal safety, low-risk Comfort. And because the servant has his personal vision and he acts on his personal vision instead of on his master's vision, what he does is he takes the resources and the money from the master and he digs a hole and he hides it in the ground. Much safer that way. And Jesus says in the story, when the master returns, he's angry and he throws the servant out into the darkness where it says there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, a picture of hell. Now, you may have a wonderfully articulated vision for your business or for your family or for your life. We may have a wonderfully articulated vision for our church. We may plan on how we're going to resource that vision. We may have a great plan. We may even have a carefully worked out timeline. But is it the same vision that Jesus has? What did Jesus actually say? This is what he said that day. As he stood on the mountainside, the hillside in Galilee, with his 11 disciples, he says, Matthew 28, verse 18, All power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make this, uh, sorry, go and disciple all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all the things I have commanded you and surely I am with you all the days until the end of the age. So there are four all statements here. Jesus says all power, in Greek it's pas exousia, all the nations, all the people, pas ethne, all the commands, pas tereo, and all the days, pas emera. There is no vision that I have ever come across in my life that is as expansive, as exhaustive, as saturating as this vision that Jesus has. Because as we're going to see, I hope we're going to see today, it is about the complete and utter 
life transformation of every single person on this planet. No exceptions. And we, as the church of Jesus, as the, as the people of Jesus, have utterly failed to grasp this. We have utterly failed to plan according to Jesus' vision. We've utterly failed to mobilize and to strategize according to this vision. And we have consistently placed our personal desires and our personal ambitions ahead of the vision of Jesus Christ. His vision was, and still is, the redemption of all creation. So Jesus starts with a staggering claim. He says, all power, in some, in some translations, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All power, all authority. You know, when we think about visions, we know that every vision has to be resourced. In order for a vision to come to fruition, it needs money. It needs people. It needs influence to succeed. And this radical and seemingly impossible vision that Jesus is about to describe to his disciples is going to require massive resources, but not only money, not only people, not only influence, but also spiritual power, because it involves an unseen, non-physical enemy. And so Jesus starts by assuring us that the resources are unlimited. All power all authority, all resources have been made available to ensure the successful completion of the vision of Jesus. What's he saying? There is no power in heaven or on earth that can withstand it. There is no person, there is no corporation, there is no gov government that is rich enough to buy it out. There is no opinion or theory, no matter how educated it may sound or enticing or politically correct, that can stand against the authority that Jesus holds in his hands and the authority that he will place into the hands of his church if we will use it to accomplish his vision. But I want to say to us, church, this may sound easy, but it is not easy because our own lusts for money and for pleasure and for security and for power and our own visions will constantly block our ability to access that power. We will constantly be tempted to rely on our own power rather than Jesus' power. And we have an enemy who is intent on ensuring that we live and act and minister and serve as powerlessly as possible. So this is not easy. This is a war that we are in. You can say amen, actually. Last time I preached this, I had lots of amens and hallelujahs. I want to assure you this, that as much as you align your life and your family and your business, as much as we align our church to the direction of Jesus' vision, and as much as we put to death our own desires and our own dreams and our own security and safety for the sake of His vision, As much as we understand the nature of this battle and the nature of the enemy that we fight against, that we wrestle against, and as much as we reach for and grasp onto that power, 
Jesus will give it to us. All power, he says, all power in heaven and on earth has been made available to accomplish the vision that Jesus has for the world. Amen. Secondly, Jesus' vision is for all people. Jesus' vision is not just for a few people. It's for every person. And not just every person that you know, but every person who has walked on this planet from that day until this day, and every person who will until the day He returns. So Jesus' vision includes people of different colors and different nationalities and different tribes and different social classes and different religions and different political persuasions and different sexual orientations. Jesus has a vision which is for rapists and for racketeers and for hijackers and for taxi drivers and for factory workers and for government officials and for thieves and for prostitutes and for the rich and for the poor. There is nobody who is excluded from Jesus' plan of redemption for the world. There is nobody excluded. I want to look at the exact words that Jesus spoke. What do they actually mean? What did he actually say? Matthew records them in ancient Greek, Koine Greek, as Mathetusata Pantata Ethne. Mathetusata means disciple, all Panta, the Ta Ethne. Now, most Bibles will translate this word ethne as nations, disciple all the nations. In English, we get this word ethnic from ethne. But ethne does not actually strictly mean nations. It means groups of people, groupings of people. So, in the 1970s, there was a bunch of, uh, of theologians who began to look at this passage, and they said, you know, ethne does not actually really mean nations. It means groups of people. And so they coined this phrase, people groups, and by people groups they meant uh, anywhere where you have a group of people with the same language and the same culture and, and the same uh, sort of ethnic origin. They called it a, a people group. And so this mission movement was born to establish a church in every single socio-cultural language people group in the world, not just in every country. And this is a wonderful vision. Vision of planting a church, a, a witness to Jesus in every people group. And it most certainly serves the vision that Jesus has for the world. But, but I want to say this. That this vision of a church in every people group is not nearly big enough. And it is not the whole vision. It may be part of the vision, but it is not the whole vision that Jesus spelt out that day on the mountain. You see, unfortunately, we as a church have mostly left the task of discipling the ethne out there to the missionaries. We said they can go and do it. But I want to tell you that when Jesus said to us, disciple all the ethne, he had a much, much bigger vision than that. The vision of, of this church in every people group is amazing, but it's not nearly the scale, it's not nearly the saturation level that Jesus intended when he said, disciple all the ethne. And there are two reasons I'm saying this. And the first is that, that I say Jesus' vision was much bigger, is that we have misunderstood what ethne means. 
Because as much as ethnic can mean nations, as much as it can mean people groups, and ethnos, which is the singular of ethne, actually applies to any group of people that is connected together by something in common. And ethnos can be as small as a family. And sometimes that word is translated as family in the Bible. It can be as large as a nation. Every single social community group, wherever we find them, is an ethnos. So ethnos can mean tribes. It can mean families. It can mean households. It can mean sports teams. It can mean chess clubs. It can mean support groups. It can mean school classes. It can mean business offices. It can mean political parties. In our modern world, an ethno can even mean online communities, social networking sites, chat rooms. Anywhere that a a group of people gathers and interacts regularly with something that binds them together in common, some kind of community, it is an ethnos. So you are not just part of one ethnos, as if I have this ethnic group I'm part of. No, you are part of many ethne, many groups. And Jesus says, disciple all of them. You, disciple all of them, because you have influence in them. Disciple all the ethne, every group of people that you are part of. Secondly, the vision of Jesus is much bigger than we've realized because Jesus did not say, make a few disciples in each group. He did not say, plant a church in every group. He said, disciple the ethne. Disciple the group. Turn the ethnos into a church. Turn it into a church. The whole group. This is deep and saturating influence. Every person in every group. Your translation in your Bible may say something like, make disciples of every ethne. And so we become confused as if it says, make disciples in every ethne. As if God is saying, you know, I want want a representative from every tribe. So if you can get me a Chinese person and a Sudanese person, a Russian person, I'm okay, so long as there's one of each in heaven. No, Jesus did not say that. The literal translation of these words is discipling all the communities, and the emphasis is not on the individuals. The emphasis is on the whole group. If you have any doubt, you can go read the King James or Young's Literal Translation or one of those more literal versions, or you can go into the Greek if you know how to do that. It's not actually very difficult. Disciple the nation. Disciple the family. Disciple the group. It means every person in the group. Westville Baptist Church. When we look at our neighborhood here, this neighborhood of Westville, where our church is situated, it is not good enough that our church is sort of mostly full on a Sunday. It's not good enough that we met budget last week or last month or last year. It's not even good enough if signs and wonders and miracles become common in our church, and I hope they do. But it's not good enough. We can't just hang up our hats, relax in those nice 
leather armchairs we have with our remotes, turn on the TV and say, we've done our job, we've succeeded, not while evil still prowls in our streets, not while the name of Jesus is dishonored in our schools, not while there is a single person left trapped in hopelessness and depression and sin. Not while there is still the darkness of alcohol and abuse and ancestor worship and poverty. Not until the kingdom of God has been fully realized in every family, in every business, in every prison cell, in every ethnos, in every heart. And this is the call to the leaders of our church to the staff, to the elders, to the deacons, to the ministry leaders, to the life group leaders. We can't do this ourselves. It's not something we can just go and do ourselves, but we can lead our people. We can lead them, we can encourage them, we can teach them, we can rebuke them, we can strengthen them until everyone boldly grasps hold of the unlimited resources of kingdom power and starts to transform ethnos after ethnos, family after family, classroom after classroom, office after office, and until in this neighborhood every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. Hallelujah. This is not about your vision. It's not about my vision. It's about Jesus' vision. And if we build according to His vision, we will succeed. But if we build according to our own vision, we will fail. Jesus says, all power is at His command to accomplish His vision. Jesus says His vision is, is targeted at discipling all the ethne, every person in every group. But what does it mean to disciple all the ethne? You know, too often we have focused as churches on the church thing. How many people visited our church? How many left? How many came? How many people accepted Jesus through some kind of prayer? How many people got baptized? How many came to the front after a sermon? And we've measured the Great Commission by how many commitments, how many tears? How many in church on a Sunday or in life group? or in prayer meetings. But this is not Jesus' vision. It's not enough. What did Jesus actually say? Well, he said this, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all the things I've commanded you. So baptizing, he says baptize them. Baptizing is a way in which we signify our faith in Jesus Christ. We're going to baptize some people later in the service. And if God is, is speaking to and prompting you, we will baptize you too, if you want. Even if you didn't come to the baptismal class, even if you didn't tell us before, you are welcome to come forward and ask for baptism. And, and Janice is right here, the lady sitting right in front. Just come and say to her, I'd also like to be baptized. And we will organize that. In baptism, we recognize and we submit to God, the Father, Jesus, the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. We recognize that we don't just kind of somehow float into the kingdom of God. We have to make a conscious decision, and we seal that decision with an outward sign, the sign of baptism. So maybe you do need to be baptized today. Maybe God is speaking to you. But secondly, and this is where I want to focus, 
Jesus says, teaching them to obey all the things I have commanded you. Because contrary to what so many churches have believed and taught for so long, the vision of Jesus is not to make converts to Christianity. The vision of Jesus is not to fill churches with worshippers on a Sunday. The vision of Jesus is not that we should have a big and beautiful church or that you should have a lovely home and a nice car and successful children. The vision of Jesus is that all people should be reconciled to Him, not only emotionally and spiritually through some kind of spiritual experience, but that their lives and their actions should be reconciled to the life and the actions of Jesus. He's cool. Don't worry about him. Because when we start to live like Jesus, when we start to live like Jesus, we start to have access to the same Holy Spirit power that Jesus had access to. When we start to live like Jesus, miracles begin to happen. Not just in church, but also in our streets, in our schools, in our prison cells, in our places of work. When we start to live like Jesus, demons flee before us. Curses break, strongholds fall. And when we start to live like Jesus, the oppressed are released from addiction and from abuse. And when we start to live like Jesus, poverty and systems of injustice fall. Why do these things still hold our streets and our homes? Because we have not started living like Jesus. cool. Thanks, Barry. Jesus says to his disciples that day on the mountain, I want you to teach them to obey all the things I've commanded you. You know how often we misunderstand or misquote this, this passage? We say teaching them all things. Jesus said teaching them all things. I kind of learned it like this. It sits in my mind as going to all the world, make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them all things. As if teaching them all things is what Jesus said. If Jesus said teaching them all things, then our emphasis should be academic, shouldn't it? Getting knowledge, getting biblical knowledge into people's heads. Maybe that is our emphasis. Maybe that is how we teach. But I want to say to us, people of God, brothers and sisters, Jesus did not say teaching them all things. What does he say? He says, teach them to obey all the things. Because the kingdom of God doesn't come through our understanding alone, it comes through our actions. Discipleship is not about what goes into our head, it's about our obedience. And it's about the way we actually live our lives in this world. Our thoughts do not change the world. Our theology does not change the world. Our understanding and our knowledge do not, understand, uh, do not change the world. Not until it changes the way we actually behave as people. One of the greatest failures in the church, I believe, is that we've fed people's heads with knowledge about Jesus. We've even moved their hearts and their emotions 
but we've never demanded that people live according to the pattern of Jesus' life and teaching. No, this is why the world looks at us and says, you are hypocrites. This is why people leave our churches. This is why the gospel seems weak and powerless in a world that's full of darkness, because we have not started living it. You want to know how Jesus taught us to live? Jesus' pattern of living had nothing to do with coming to church on a Sunday. Sorry, John. It had nothing to do with singing in the worship team. Sorry, Barry. Or ushering. Or shouting hallelujah. And there's nothing wrong with these things and we need them. It's part of our church life. But they are not discipleship. That is not discipleship. If you look at the commands that Jesus actually gave in the Bible, you will find that the heart of his teaching is in the laying down of our lives and our rights and our desires and our pride and our possessions in utter dependence on God for the sake of bringing healing and wholeness and salvation to the lost, to the hurting, to the poor, to the oppressed, to the broken. A couple of months ago, I stood on the Mount of Beatitudes in Israel the second time I'd been there, I was privileged to be there. I suddenly realized something I had not realized before that changed me. It kind of really moved me. And I realized that this place where Jesus had given that Sermon on the Mount, maybe you remember our, our series last year on the Sermon on the Mount, and we just, sorry, earlier this year, we just finished that. And I stood there and we read through the Sermon on the Mount together. There's this body of teaching, which is really the heart of discipleship. It's, it's really what it means to live as a disciple. And I realized that this place where he gave that teaching was the self-same place when, where he stood, when he said these words, teach them to obey all the things that I've commanded you. Which things? Which things? Must we teach the world to obey? All these things I taught you here. It must have been an incredibly powerful moment for the disciples as they, as they could hear the sounds, smell the smells, and they could see the flowers in the field. They're there and the birds of the air and the stones and the thistles and the city perched on the hill across the valley which cannot be hidden. All these object lessons that Jesus used to teach them. How must we live our lives in a way that is transformational that will turn this dark and hurting world into his kingdom of light? And now he tells us again, everything you learned here, everything you remember from this place, Teach others, all the others, to live the same way and this world will never, ever be the same again. If you read the pages of history that tell of the stories when oppressive systems have been brought down and when health and education and justice have flooded light and life into the lives of hopeless people, you will find at the heart of almost all of these stories followers of Jesus living out the teachings of their master and laying down their lives in imitation of him. That's why Jesus says the gospel is good news for the poor. Because the gospel is good news for everybody. Amen. There's one more all in this passage. Jesus says, and surely I am with you all the days until the very end of the age. He starts with those words, and surely, in Greek it's kai ido. It means behold, 
It's a strong phrase. Take note. Listen carefully. Don't forget. Because soon after Jesus says these words, he's going to ascend into heaven, and they're not going to see him again. But he doesn't want us to forget. I am still with you all the days. Do you remember what would happen at school when the teacher left the classroom? Okay, from the laughter, I guess you remember. All the discipline and decency that had been in that classroom when the teacher was there would instantaneously disappear. And there would be, certainly in my school, I was in a, in a boys-only school, there would be noise and there would be confusion and shouting and boys jumping on the desks. Do you remember that? What if the teacher had walked out, and sometimes the teacher would do this, and just waited outside the door? And you couldn't see him. You thought he'd gone. You know, we'd have somebody watching. When's the teacher coming back? But he had not gone. And he would hear every word that was shouted out by every child, every desk, that lid that was slammed down, everybody who jumped on, everybody who said, shh, everybody who did whatever they did. What would happen when the teacher walked back into the classroom? How often do we behave like children when the teacher leaves the classroom? When will we wake up? When will we awaken from that slumber and we realize that he is still here and he has been here every minute, every hour, every day that you have pursued your own vision? When will we wake up from that slumber and realize that the Spirit of Jesus is waiting silently in the shadows of our lives and of our homes, of our businesses, of our church, yearning to pour out on us that power of Jesus to lead us in, that, in the footsteps of Jesus, yearning to show us the full extent of Jesus' vision to saturate the world with his redemptive power. It's part of our vision as a church for the future. We see people who are deeply transformed. We see a church that is deeply transformed. We see a community of Westful that is deeply transformed. We see a world that is deeply transformed. Because transformation, the transformation of the world is the fruit of the gospel in action. In any kind of compassionate action, any kind of social transformation strategy or mission strategy that is not grounded in an understanding and a practice of Jesus' vision for the world will not be transformational. That's why our government systems fail. That's why the secular systems of the world fail. Because it is not in the power and it is not in the method of Jesus. Jesus has ensured that all the power, all the resources of heaven and of earth are made available for the completion of his vision. Not your vision. His vision. And his vision is that all people and all families, all neighborhoods, all social groups should become disciples and no one should be left out, that no one should be abandoned. And Jesus' vision is that everyone should be taught to obey all the things that he commanded us to live in a radically different way. And this is his promise to us. I will be with you always by my Spirit. All the days until I come again. 
bodily in the flesh and take you to be with me forever. And this is what we want our heartbeat and our vision to be as a church. This is what we want to put into action, we must put into action, to focus deliberately and intensively on saturating every person in this church, every person in Westville, with the teachings and the actions that Jesus, of Jesus that bring deep transformation. And in influencing other churches across this country and across this world to do the same. And to using our resources that way. Until there is no more spiritual darkness. And no more oppression. And no more poverty. And no one is left out. Now we're going to close and in a minute I'm going to ask the worship team to come up when I pray. But, but I know that some of you have been moved this morning. God's Spirit has been tugging at your heart, some of you. And you know you're being challenged for something. And, and God may be challenging in many ways, but three ways I thought He might be challenging you. The, the three ways I put on this, uh, Gareth put on this insert that we put in, in the bulletin. That perhaps for some of you, God is challenging you to live out in a new way, with new, fresh commitment, the teachings of Jesus. That will transform you and your family and your business and your community. And for some of you, God is challenging you to start to speak to others about Jesus. For some of you, God is challenging you perhaps to leave the comforts that you have here and go to another place, perhaps as a missionary or something like that, so that others who have never heard the teachings of Jesus will hear them. So if God is challenging you, I'm going to invite you to pray with me. I'm actually going to ask, will all of you just stand? Everybody. If somebody's asleep, you can just nudge them. Stand up and as we pray, the worship team can come forward. And, and, and if God has specifically challenged you, has tugged on your heart, I'm just going to ask you as we pray and we can close our eyes just to raise your hands. Raise a hand or raise two hands as a way of committing to say, God, I, I hear that challenge respond to that challenge. Father God, you know every heart. You hear every thought. You see the motivations and the intentions, the hurts, the concerns, the fears of every single person in this room. And as we open our hearts to you, as we lift our hands to you, we pray that you will take us as we are broken, insignificant, frail, sinful. You will make our lives extraordinary. That we will touch and heal the broken around us. That we ourselves will be healed as we do it. As we learn to live out your teaching. As we learn to be Jesus' hands and feet. Jesus in this world. The world may see and know that every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess Jesus Christ is Lord, you are our Lord hear our hearts today and hear our commitment and give us your strength and your power because you have promised to do it that as we step out in faith, as we do what you're asking us to do that you will give us your power and that we will see extraordinary things in our lives and around us, in our homes, in our community 
We commit ourselves again to you, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.